Good morning, Covenant Life Church and whoever else is gathered with us around the world this morning. My name is Jay Gregory. I am one of the lay elders here at Covenant Life, and it is, as always, my distinct privilege to have the opportunity to preach the word when I get the opportunity. And so uh, this is a very unique opportunity. Um, I've had plenty of opportunities throughout my life in various situations and scenarios to, to speak to, to groups publicly, um, but it's, this is the first time I've ever been live streamed. And so it's very different. I, you, you're used to that like crowd interaction and participation. And you can see, oh, look, this guy over here, he's falling asleep. So I better be more loud or this person's struggling to understand. And so I need to like bear down on that point. So it's gonna be a little more, a little more difficult. Um, and I feel like it's almost gonna be like an episode of like Blue's Clues or something. And I'm gonna be like, so God the Son is... That's right, Jesus. Um, but seriously, I won't do that throughout the sermon. But right, it is, it's a hard thing. It's a weird thing. And one of the greatest blessings, I think, of this church that for many churches is not quite the same is the fact of the community that we have, that people actually have to get kicked out of the building so that the guy with the keys can leave. And then after they get kicked out of the building, they stand outside in the parking lot. And so it's one of the more beautiful things about our church. And so hopefully, if like me, I, I was last week, but as you might be this week, when this live stream ends, right, you're suddenly going to find yourself at home. And, and now what do you do with the rest of your day? And so hopefully that encourages you and reminds you of the value of community and that you wouldn't take that for granted um, whenever the time comes that we're allowed to begin meeting as we would normally. And so this morning, we're going to jump back into the book of James. If you've been following along, Justin has started us through the last two weeks. And two weeks ago, he talked about how actually in the midst of trial, there's actually blessing that can come through that as God is working in and through us. And so there's a blessing in that. And then last week, he talked about wisdom and how we can have wisdom and the generosity of God to give wisdom to those who ask for it. And so this week, we're going to transition into a third blessing that James says that we can have. And that's through a right understanding of the things that we have. And so we're going to look at that. And so before I, I dive in and begin to walk through this, let's take a second to pray and ask God to bless his word. Father, we come to you this morning scattered around and not able to, to meet in one place. God, but we thank you this morning that you have given us technology that allows us to continue to have some semblance of what it looks like to gather together and to sing and to hear your word and to pray together. God, and so we ask your blessing. God, we, we thank you for the work that you are doing. God, around in churches all around the world, God, as they are able to um, enjoy this benefit. And so we pray that we would not take that for granted, but more, we pray that we would not take for granted the opportunity that we have in a normal basis. We're able to gather and to be community. And God, so we thank you. And we ask your blessing this morning on your word. God, you would use it to build us up, to make us more like yourself. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as we begin to approach James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, the first thing that we're struck with is, is two characters. Those two characters, the lowly brother and the rich man. And so the, the thing I think that would be helpful before we begin to dive in is James is directing his focus towards these two people. So who, who are these two people? What are these two people, what do they mean? What are their roles to play? Right, he calls one lowly and he calls the other one rich. And so let's just get a little clarity on perhaps what he's talking about. 
you'll notice if you continue to follow with us and through the book of James, through our series here, James is gonna hit on a similar theme as he's hitting on this morning. He's gonna hit on it numerous times throughout his book. You'll notice at the beginning of chapter two, he talks about the sin of partiality and, and showing preference to the rich and, and looking down on or, or not caring for the poor among you who, who join you in your congregations. And later he gets to, into James chapter two, he gets to this idea of where maybe you see someone who's poorly clothed or in need and you're like, good luck finding help, but you don't take advantage of the opportunity that you have to participate in that need. Later, as you get into chapter four, he, he talks about a similar idea as we heard this morning of the flower. He talks about how you're a mist that vanishes and the, and the pride that says, tomorrow I'm gonna do this or I'm gonna do that because we don't know what it has and how we should, how we should think about our life and tomorrow. And he, in that, he transitions into a warning to the rich and those who would use their riches to oppress and to look down on the poor. And so James continues to hit on this theme over and over again throughout his book. And, and we'll obviously, we'll flesh that out more, what those other passages mean as we get there. But we do, we, we notice that there's this theme that James wants to hit on regarding our possessions and kind of our attitudes around some of those things and how we handle the things that we have. And so I think that helps to give us a context of who the lowly brother is and who the, who the rich man is. And yet, um, in this, we're gonna, we see that he kind of twists the two and, and kind of exalts one and lowers the other. And we're gonna get to that in a second. But first, you'll notice that he tells both groups to boast. So oftentimes when we think of the idea of boasting, we think of this kind of in a negative connotation. In fact, if you, if you flip over to James chapter four, like he talks there, right, of this evil, arrogant boasting, this prideful, self-exhausting boasting. And in that, it is an evil and wicked thing to boast. And yet we see all through scripture that boasting is actually commended. It's actually a thing that we ought to do, right? But there's a context. There's a right time and opportunity that we do that, right? Gina read a few seconds ago from Jeremiah chapter nine, right, of not in our wisdom, not in our riches, not in our might, but we boast in the Lord and knowing him, right? We see a similar idea in Psalm chapter 20, verse seven, where he says, we boast not in chariots and horses, right? We don't boast in military might or in power, but we boast in the Lord. And then we see in Galatians chapter six, verse 14, that Paul says, far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, and so it can be a good and an honorable, a commendable thing to boast. And so it comes when the, when the thing that you're boasting in, when the object of your boasting is deserving of that boast. And each of these passages commend of us to boast in the Lord. And so church, I commend to you now, boast in the Lord. Boast of his greatness and of his glory. Boast of the fact that though you were once a wretched sinner, dead in your trespasses and sins, that God made you alive with Jesus Christ. Boast that Jesus went to the cross, but then he went, after he went to the grave, he burst for an eternal, an eternal life, that we could all have life, right? Boast of Jesus and make that your boast and speak of that often in your homes and in your neighborhoods, in your places of work, boast of Jesus and boast of his great mercy to you. And so James commends to us to boast. But what does he tell these two men to boast in? 
He says to the lowly brother to boast in your exaltation. And he says to the rich to boast in your humiliation. So what does this mean that he's flipping these two ideas kind of on his head? Well, I think we get into our context in that last section of chapter or verse 11, where he says, so will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And so some of you listening in right now might be thinking, shoo, I'm not rich. So I guess I get a pass this week. But I think what James is doing here is more indicated in that smaller phrase, in the midst of his pursuits. And I think that's a common theme that all of us can relate to. Whether we have a lot, whether we don't, right? There's something that we're pursuing. There's something that we're longing for. And we see an additional context in Luke chapter 11 that I think will help to shed a little more light on what's happening. And so Luke is here in his account of the gospel. He's recording a time where Jesus was teaching to a crowd and someone in the crowd says, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. And Jesus is like, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And then he says this, as we look in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Right, I think Jesus here in this, in this preaching to the crowd and delivering this parable to them, he begins to hit on what the real problem is. And it's that root attitude and behavior that's rich towards ourself and not towards God that stores up temporary pursuits and doesn't look for those more lasting and eternal pursuits. And so right in the context of what we're looking at here in James and what we just read in Luke, right? It's easy to think of like possessions and of riches, right? This guy, he's building bigger barns, but perhaps for us, it's building a bigger bank account. But right, there are other types of pursuits. There are other things that we might be holding on to that are also fleeting, right? In Proverbs chapter 31, we see an idea that charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, Right, so maybe the thing that, that we're, tr the pursuit that we're really grasping and trying to hold on to and pursue may not be riches, but it might be something like beauty. Right, and we're looking for that hot girlfriend or that hot boyfriend, or we want the, the attractive, cool people to be into us and to think we're awesome. Or perhaps we're wearing ourselves out through exercise or makeup or buying fancy clothes to, to have this beauty and this attractiveness that people would look in on us, right? And all these pursuits are fading. Whether that's riches or beauty, or maybe it's something else like power or prestige or fame, all these things, no matter how long we're able to hold on to them, 
right? You might be able to hold on to your riches longer than you're able to hold on to your beauty. But either way, both those pursuits, all those pursuits are fading and they will pass away. And so it's more important to what we pursue. And here we see James talk about this flower that fades away. If you're like me, when when I first read this text, the first place that my mind went was to the 1993 film about the comic book legend, Dennis the Menace. So if you've never seen this, it's free on the Roku channel right now. I had to do my sermon research. So, so right, so in this movie, Dennis the Menace, he's this neighbor, he's always getting into trouble. He's always messing with Mr. Wilson. Well, Mr. Wilson in this movie is actually, he's, he's being put up for this grand award from his local gardening club because he has a night blooming mock orchid that is set to bloom this year. Now, it's not quite true to reality, but pretty close. But Mr. Wilson says, this flower takes 40 years to bloom. And under the moonlight, it blooms and dies within 10 seconds. And so he's got this whole garden club together and they're all here to to watch this flower bloom for that 10 seconds. But all through the night, Dennis happens to be in their house and he's messing things up and he ruins the dinner and he's just, everything's going haywire. But then at that very last moment, right when the flower's about to bloom, one last distraction from Dennis keeps Mr. Wilson from savoring the moment that he had toiled for for 40 years. And I won't ruin the rest of the movie, but, but Mr. Wilson grows frustrated, right? He's, he's like, I just spent 40 years like sweating and toiling and tending for this plant and I don't even get to taste of the fruit of it. I don't get to see the beautifulness of this flower for that 10 seconds that it lives. Right, how much of a waste of time did that probably feel like to Mr. Wilson in that moment? And right, how is that maybe for some of us? Imagine yourself a million years from now in eternity and not because it's necessarily theologically accurate, but imagine yourself sitting on a cloud and you're looking down on yourself. You're looking down on yourself in January of 2020 And you're looking down and you're like, oh, look at what he's doing. Look at what she's doing. Evaluate that. Like, stop and think. Evaluate where your pursuits were, where your pursuits are. Right? You're you're looking down from that million-year view. And how are you evaluating those things? Are you looking down and saying, oh, man, I'm so glad that I was doing that? Or are you like, dummy, what are you doing? Right? What is it you're chasing after? What's the pursuit? What's that thing you're longing for? Whose approval are you, are you wearing yourselves out for? What task are you, you grinding yourself into the ground for? What worry or fear is keeping you up at night? Right, what's that thing? And I think for all of us, there's, there's something like that, right? Because I don't think that for most of us, I don't think the problem is whether or not we have a pursuit, whether there's something that we're holding on to a little too tightly. But I think the problem for most of us or the question that most of us need to ask of ourselves is not whether I'm holding on to something, but whether how deeply does that lust go? You see, for, for many of us, 
there's, uh, sorry, there's a, there's a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. And in this book, he uses an illustration. And so in this illustration, he says that our pursuits can be like glue, right? And they become glued a little too tightly together, right? And so, right, when you, when you try to remove, right, two sheets of paper, I can flip two sheets of paper, it's pretty simple. But when two things are glued together, right, and you begin to try to pull those apart, right, it rips and it tears and it destroys both the things that have been put together, right? And that, for many of us, could be the case, right? When, when God removes something from our life, that perhaps is why it hurts so much. It's because we've allowed it to get glued just a little too tightly, right? And so my, my warning and encouragement for you this morning is to evaluate what's that thing in your life that might be glued a little too tightly to your heart? And perhaps it might be a good idea to consider how you might loosen that glue up now so that if and when God does remove it, it won't hurt so bad. And right, and so for many of us, right, we, whether we're the rich man or whether we're the lowly man, it's easy for both of us to get caught up in a pursuit a little too tightly. Right, even for the lowly brother, it's easy. The 18th century evangelist, George Whitfield, actually talks about a time where he saw two criminals, or a few criminals, they were in a cart on their way to the gallows, and they were arguing about who should sit on the right-hand side of the cart. Like a couple of children arguing over who should get shotgun. Right, these men couldn't have been in any lower of a position, and yet here they were bickering over this little thing of like, who should sit where? And so ask yourself, whether you find yourself in the position of whether you would call yourself the the rich brother or the lowly brother, right? Evaluate, is my heart glued a little too tightly to some of these things? And so whatever that is, right? It, It could be numerous things, but take a second and to evaluate that for yourself. And so not only that, right? We've been, we've been talking about a lot about what do I take off, but what do you put on, right? Burroughs also in his book of Christian Contentment, right? He talks about this idea of how you don't fill your hunger by breathing in air, right? There's, there's a right source to satisfy your hunger and breathing in, you can breathe in all the air you want, but you will never satisfy your hunger. And so the same for, for each and every one of us, Not just do we need to take off a longing for for temporal or temporary pursuits, things that will fade, but we need to put something on in its place. And so perhaps, depending on how much you have, perhaps you need to put on greater generosity or or better stewardship. Perhaps as as we've thought about these ideas of flipping these two ideas on their head of of who's exalted and, and who's in the position of humiliation, Perhaps that causes you to grow in wisdom. Or perhaps something you need to put on, when you think about the fact that all these things will fade away, perhaps you need to grow in eternal vision and thinking rightly about the future, right? So there are areas that we can put on. And so consider, ask yourself, what is that area that you need to grow in that you need to replace the false pursuit and how you can pursue things of lasting and more eternal significance? 
But I think there's one other way as where my mind went when I began to think about parallels in scripture. And as I think about this parallel of poverty and riches being flipped on their head, I go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. And in this, it says that Jesus laid down his poverty so that we might be made rich. Right, what does that mean? It means that Jesus, enthroned in glory from all eternity, author of creation, who commands an army of angels, whose backyard is a sea of galaxies, right, who, who is sovereign over the nations as if moving pieces on a chessboard, Right, this one who had authority and glory over all things laid all that down, allowed himself to be born, to come to earth and not with any semblance of that authority and glory. But at his birth, his parents had nowhere else to lay him but in a trough where earlier they had been feeding the animals. And he lived this life, the one who, who could command stars to appear out of nowhere, had to learn arithmetic, got colds, tripped and fell and skinned his knee, had to deal with all the pains and the troubles and the temptations that, that you and I come against us. And yet he maintained all of that without sin. And at the end of his life, he was condemned to death, to die a death that he did not deserve. But he gladly went to the cross. The eternal one, with no beginning and no end, allowed himself to be put to death on the cross. So that by laying down his richness and taking on our poverty, we and our poverty might be made rich. And so the reality is that each and every one of us at birth bear this poverty. Each of us are born into sin and each of us through our own sin have rebelled against God. And as such, we stand under God's good and just judgment. God would not be a good God if he let wickedness go on uncontrolled. And so God judges the wicked. God judges wickedness. He judges our sin. And yet we see here Jesus taking on our poverty so that we might have the richness of forgiveness. So that we, if we repent, meaning to turn from our sin and to follow after him, right? And we can have that richness. We can know God and be known by him. And so this morning, if you've never chosen to follow Christ, I would commend that to you this morning that you might turn to him and to follow him and you might know the riches of sharing in Christ and his glory. To those of you who do know and follow Christ, I would encourage you with Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. From it, we await a savior. We are citizens of heaven and from it we await a glorious savior who will return. Church, Jesus is coming back. He is coming for us 
And we will get to share in that glory one day. So no matter what trials or troubles come against us, right? We don't have to get bogged down in these pursuits. We can look towards that glorious eternity that's coming. Burroughs in his book talks about a saying that the early Christian martyrs used to often say to one another as they were preparing for their death. And they would say this, though we have had a hard breakfast, yet we shall have a good dinner. We shall very soon be in heaven. Church, I commend you to walk in that mindset. Though we have had a hard breakfast, very soon we shall have a good dinner. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the reminder that we have, God, to not trust in temporal, temporary pursuits. God, we thank you for how you're doing that even through our everyday life, God, as we're reminded through this pandemic of the things that truly value, that truly matter. God, so we pray that as we walk through these things, God, that we would not forget this. God, that we would remember and that we would hope in you. God, if there are those listening who, who do not know you, God, we pray that they would put their trust in you for the very first time. And they might know the hope of living for something of eternity. God, grow us, use us. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.